It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined by Ronna McDaniel. The political ramifications of this fallout from the horrible dismount from Afghanistan is uh, just now being calculated. RNC, got to get back to House. Can they hold on? Can they get back to Senate? Ronna McDaniel, RNC chair, to talk about that. KT McFarlane on the ramifications and the indictment of the Trump administration's deal with the Taliban and the president saying yesterday the successful mission gave him no choice because Joe, because Joe Biden had no choice because Donald Trump had a plan in place and he couldn't stop it. You believe it? The one plan that Joe Biden didn't want to stop if Donald Trump's because it was his goal all along to get out of Afghanistan. And you're not going to believe how he characterized it. it uh, I know you might have heard it if you missed the afternoon remarks. Of course, it was an hour and a half late again. Here's a little of Joe Biden, cut one. The United States ended 20 years of war in Afghanistan, the longest war in American history. Right. We chose to end it, but they will still fight it. And all our enemies are still there. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. He is grateful to their sons and daughters, the sacrifice uh, they made to the country that he knows uh, firsthand from spending a lot of time with him over the past couple of days, that he was deeply impacted by these family members who he met uh, just two days ago. Explain that to them, a success. Meanwhile, uh, Gold Star backlash, Biden's blockading boredom and watching, checking, checking his watch every two seconds as many members of the new Gold Star families fuming at our commander in chief. Hey, Mr. President, it's not about you. It's not about your decision. It's about your decisions. It's not about your son. The whole blame Trump thing will not work with me or the country. Number two, the bottom line, 90 percent of Americans in Afghanistan who wanted to leave were able to leave. I think he lied to us because there's no way. I don't believe this 10% crap. I think there are hundreds, if not a thousands, of Americans left behind. 10% left behind? That's the new American credo. If we adopt Biden's philosophy, as he admits about 10% of the American people in Afghanistan could not leave. Can you be more callous? How did we get the remaining fa- how do we get the remaining families out? And what is the situation on the ground? Now that we are gone, we'll examine. Number one. My predecessor had made a deal with the Taliban. Taliban. When I was running for president, I made a commitment to the American people that I would end this war. Right. Today, I've honored that commitment. A success. That's what Joe Biden told the the nation. Afghanistan's evacuation. He was defiant in his speech. He berated his critics. And I condemn his inept, tragic, bloody retreat. Uh, from the den of terror that we left behind. Even his own administration does not agree. The question, will America forget by 2022? That's what they're counting on. I'll make sure they don't. couple of things. Politico wrote a story, and I know this is going to begin to happen. I'm stunned by how few leaks happened from this administration where the previous one, it was nonstop leaks, where the president every day said, fake news, fake news, fake news. So here are two off-the-record remarks. Anonymous, Politico, quote, from inside the Biden administration. I am absolutely appalled and literally horrified we left Americans there. 
Next, another. It was a hostage rescue of thousands of Americans in the guise of a non-combatant evacuation operation, and we have failed that a no and a no fail mission. That, according to another White House official, no kidding. We chose to get out. We uh, we ended the fight with the Taliban, but the Taliban will now combine with the Akani network, as well as Al Qaeda, and eventually ISIS. And take on the Western world. Because they don't like this world. They're looking for the next world. So do you heard Joe Biden say, I ended the 20-year war. Here's what he said about the evacuation. Cut three. I take responsibility for the decision. Now some say we should have started mass evacuation sooner. And couldn't this have been done, have been done in a more orderly manner? I respectfully disagree. Imagine if we've begun evacuations in June or July, bringing in thousands of American troops and evacuating more than 100. Right, do you believe do you believe what he just said? People have asked, could it have done and could have been done in a more orderly way? Really? You don't think it could have been done in a more orderly way? You mischaracterize this and mis evaluated the Afghan army. You ignored Gahani's calls for more air power because the Pakistanis were organizing, supporting, and strategizing with the Taliban. You watched as capital after capital fell, and you went on vacation at Camp David, and your secretary of state went to the Hamptons. You got on the phone with Ghani, according to a transcript acquired by Reuters, the then president, and told him that stop with the negative perception of the strength of the Afghan army. The perception around the world is that you guys are losing. Change it. He said, can I have air power? Crickets in response. So he, as a coward, and he might even be a thief, left the country. But you missed the point. President Biden told us July 8th that the 300,000-man Afghan army could hold off the Taliban. He had already spoken to Kahani and said the perception is you're losing. And guess who else used that term? A man that do, should be using any term but perception, and that's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And that is General Milley, who, in my, for my money, not only should resign because his policies are being mischaracterized, but because he's terrible. He said nobody could have projected that the Afghan army would fall like that. Do you know he was telling Gahani the same thing as President Trump? The perception is by us and our European allies that you're losing. Change the perception. He did not get more air power. He did not lobby for it. And if he did, he come, should come out and say it. Because I think about 90 high-ranking generals and admirals have come out and said that Milley and Secretary of Defense Austin should resign. What's so stunning is that even other members of the media are realizing that that speech yesterday was ridiculous. His claiming of success was 100% inadequate. And for the people on the ground like Jake Tapper and Martha Raddatz, they could not tolerate it. Listen to this. The first uh, media reaction cut is from Chuck Todd, then Raddatz, then Tapper. Cut 16. This felt like a tale of two speeches when you see it, and perhaps it had multiple uh, contributors into the speech because the first part was extraordinarily defensive. At points, he even sounded like he was raising his voice when he went through his rationale for doing the withdrawal the way it was done. Uh, You can tell that 
clearly has gotten under his skin. But he's conflating the withdrawal with the evacuation. The, the evacuation occurred because the withdrawal uh, was they did not realize the Taliban would take over so quickly. That's why you ended up with this chaos. The war is over, but of course, the involvement with Afghanistan is not over because, as right. President Biden just acknowledged, there are up to 200 American citizens who want to leave Afghanistan and didn't make it out before uh, the deadline. Yeah, and they're still there. And now we have retired military men and women in a third country trying to get them overland because we left the airport. They thought holding on to the, the Kabul airport, the Karzai airport, is a good look, that it was unavoidable. When we come back a little later in this half hour, I'm going to bring you to an interpreter story in his family that saved, to a degree, Senator Joe Biden's life, who has been left behind and his calls for help have gone unanswered. While the Cahoon Valley Union School has about students, about eight families, 24 students, they are somewhere in Afghanistan. Nobody knows exactly where they are, and they're afraid to show their location. And then a little bit later, the Gold Star Backlash, they are horrified by some of his comments. He talked about himself at Dover. He talked about his son, not about their sons and daughters. And the Gold Star Backlash is substantial, and it's searing. And this checking of his watch, according to one dad who lost their son, six times. If you're that bored, do something else. one 408 When we come back, Ronald McDaniel on the vulnerability of the president right now. And is this just a news cycle from leaving our consciousness? I will make sure our listeners continue to know this story. But what about the rest of the country? We'll discuss it. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. My predecessor, the former president, signed an agreement with the Taliban to remove U.S. troops by May the 1st, just months after I was inaugurated. It included no requirement that Taliban work out a cooperative governing arrangement with the Afghan government. But it did authorize the release of 5,000 prisoners last year including some of the Taliban's top war commanders, among those who just took control of Afghanistan. But he let them all out, all out of the Bagram Air Base, because uh, foolishly he abandoned that base in the middle of the night with the prisons full. It was a prisoner swap, 5,000 for 1,000. I wouldn't have supported. Khalizad cut that deal as part of a de-escalation and a six-page deal with the Trump administration. I was stunned, and I shouldn't have been, how much Joe Biden blamed Trump for what happened in Afghanistan. Joining me now, the discussant Ronna McDaniel, RNC chairwoman. Ronna, were you surprised by that speech, the blame Trump? I'm not, because it's been the tone he's taken the entire time during this debacle. He's been tone deaf. He has been angry with anybody who questions him refusing to accept responsibility for the poor execution, the withdrawal that left Americans behind, 
that put American lives at risk, that lost the lives of 13 service members. And it's been the blame game from day one with no accountability from this administration. So it's really done a job on his numbers. I think 38 percent, 38 percent support what he did in Afghanistan. I can't believe it's even that hard. But overall, his numbers have dropped to the mid to low 40s and they were above 50. How long does this last? I think it lasts a long time, Brian, especially as we're hearing stories of students trapped in Afghanistan, as we hear the harrowing stories of uh, people now dealing with the Taliban, what's going to happen to women and young girls over there. I think there are a lot of Americans right now who are going to learn more and more as we get information coming out of this debacle. And I think you and I both know there are serious questions that still need to be answered. Why do we give up Bagram? Why do we take our military men and women out before civilians? So many questions that this this administration still has to be held to account for. Here's what Donald Trump said yesterday with Stuart Varney, cut seven. If you look at what he said, he said not one soldier was killed since I signed the deal. We signed a deal that was conditions-based. Everything was conditioned. And by the way, they didn't fulfill some of those conditions, and we bombed the hell out of them. So the American people overwhelmingly wanted this war to end, but not like this. So from a political perspective, where do you go from here in the quest to win back the House and Senate? Well, it's a combination of things. I think this has been a highlighting episode of the failure of Biden, but it it goes along with the border and the issues we have at the border with millions of people coming across our border illegally. And then also the high prices that we're dealing with. Everybody's dealing with inflation. So economically, domestically, internationally, the Biden administration has been a disaster, and we're seeing it across the country in our numbers. And I think it's going to help us win back the House and the Senate. Well, what is your message to win back the House? How is it different from winning back the Senate? Uh, It's more local on the House level. It'll be more local to specific districts. You know, Maine 2 is going to be different than California 39. So we're going to be talking to those voters. It's interesting. I just did a focus group in Michigan. Manufacturing was a huge issue here. They really understood the supply chain disruption. That's different than Arizona where they really are concerned about the border issues. You so ever, we're yeah. going to customize it to the state. Here's what Nancy Pelosi said. Uh, Dear colleagues, to all members of, on the end of the war in Afghanistan, quote, I commend President Biden for his strong, steadfast leadership in ending a forever war. Why take that stance when Kamala Harris had a better stance? Say nothing and hope they forget that she's there. <laughs> well, Nancy Pelosi's always a loyal soldier. I mean, they can do anything in her party and she will defend it. And uh, including this debacle, Kamala Harris is MIA. Uh, I said Joe Biden was an MIA candidate. Now he's a CYA president. It's really been uh, hard to watch. But this is the thing. Elections have consequences. And a media that didn't vet a candidate for president that chose to ignore the deficiencies and the diminishing Joe Biden now see what that means in, in a leadership level. And it's cost American lives. And we need to make sure we hold him to account and make sure that we get back the House and the Senate so he actually have check, has checks and balances on him. So run against Biden, not retiring Pelosi? Not retiring Pelosi, run against Biden? No, retiring Pelosi gets more gets better traction uh, in our numbers. Uh, people really don't like Nancy Pelosi. But uh, Biden's rising up there. I, I do think a lot of Americans are disgusted by uh, how he, poorly he handled this withdrawal. And it—, it falls squarely at his feet. Nobody's buying this, oh, blame Donald Trump, blame the Afghan military, blame everybody else but myself. 
The American people see through it, and they think it's cowardly for him to not accept responsibility and say we could have done things better. Uh, and I acknowledge that. Well, when you were looking at rising stars on the left, the name Gavin Newsom came up. He won California with 62 percent of the vote after being mayor and doing a terrible job in San Francisco. But he looked the part. He had the presence. And now he's fighting for his political life. How much does this result are you looking for to see the chances of you having in 2022? Or is this just a California recall issue? I think getting to the recall it was huge. Getting the numbers, getting the petitions to actually get a sitting governor of California to be recalled was a huge success. Of course, we want to see him be recalled. But the numbers I'm looking at are the Senate seat we just switched in Connecticut that we flipped by 25 points, Texas 6, where we just took without a Democrat making it to the runoff. I mean, I'm looking at races across the country, and I'm seeing a huge influx of of Republican enthusiasm and a drop in Democrat enthusiasm. What is your message as opposed to – besides I'm not Joe Biden and I don't want to be a socialist and I don't want to spend us to oblivion, what is the Republican message and vision? Freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to speak your mind and and to have the ability to have access to the American dream. I mean, the American dream is at stake. The America we know and love is at stake in this election. Democrats want to fundamentally take us to a socialist nation, stack the Supreme Court, get rid of the filibuster. And I'll tell you where we're really seeing gains, Brian, it's with immigrant communities because they say, I came here, I gave up everything to have the American dream. This is not a racist country. It's the greatest country on earth. And that's what we're fighting for right now. And it's really resonating across the country as we're campaigning already for 2022. If they pass the 3.5 trillion and they tell people free elder care, free preschool, free junior college, free school lunches, how do you fight against that? Well, when you're paying significantly more for gas and groceries, it doesn't feel free. And that's what we're seeing with 30-year high inflation and everything's costing you more and you're making uh, not the same amount or your dollar goes less far. Those are the things that people feel. So they can say it's free. It doesn't feel free when you're paying more for every single thing in your life. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. Uh, but when it starts to when the checks start coming in because I get a check because I have a kid, uh, that's what's happening. People say, well, that's the guy that gave it to me. I better keep him in power. I guess that's the fear when it comes to giving away money. Uh, Ronna McDaniel, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Chairperson of the RNC. Uh, KT McFarlane next. We talk about foreign policy and the, how we took it on the chin with our allies and our enemies. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Then your calls. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. What specifically does the U.S. also want to see from the Taliban that they would use that leverage to get? You mentioned human rights or women's rights. Will the U.S. use its leverage if, for example, the Taliban doesn't allow girls to go to school or appears to be violating basic women's rights? I think the president said that in his speech. So things like access to the global marketplace would be contingent on 
girls being able to go to school, women's fundamental women's I'm rights. I'm not here to outline specific parameters for you, but what I can tell you broadly is that human rights, uh, women's rights, are certainly what the United States and also the global community will be looking at. Why not specifically outline the leverage we have now that we left the country? KT McFarlane with us, President Trump's first deputy national security advisor. Uh, her book, Revolu- uh, her book uh, Revolution, Trump, Washington, and We the People. Uh, KT why not tell us what the leverage is? Why ballpark it? They're always ballparking it. We have no leverage. Yeah, exactly right. That's why she's trying to be so ambiguous. You know, what's the leverage? I mean, when they keep talking about the international community, the Taliban wants some respect of the international community, so they're going to behave. Are you kidding? They don't want to go to cocktail parties at the U.N. They don't care about the international community. The communities that they care about, the sort of terrorist communities and the potential terrorist communities, that's who they want to impress, not a bunch of guys in foggy bottom or at the U.N. And then the second thing is, okay, so then they talk about leverage of, well, we're going to withhold funds or the World Bank is not going to lend the money and we know they need money. What are they going to use the money for, as, as the reporter asked? Build schools for girls? Yep. Really? Maternity wards? They don't care about that stuff either. Hey, KT, and- did you notice what happened yesterday? They want, to get, uh, they want to be part of the world community so bad, they made three coffins and put the American flag over one, the British over the other, and the French over the third. And they had a huge protest celebrating the death of our role in that country and maybe the death overall. Does that sound like a group that really wants to be part of the United Nations? Hardly. And whatever aid they think the, the Biden administration thinks it has, well, the Chinese are going to give them what they want, not us. Look, if we wanted real leverage, what we would do is threaten to bomb Bagram Air Base. That's interesting. Jake Sullivan weighed in on your, this very question. It looks like he's disseminating between humanitarian aid and ransom. Cut 12. We do believe that there is an important dimension of humanitarian assistance that should go directly to the people of Afghanistan. They need help with respect to health and food aid and other forms of subsistence, and we do intend to continue that. Secondly, when it comes to our economic and development assistance relationship with the Taliban, that will be about the Taliban's actions. So the first half is not about their actions. The second half is we're going to go right to their door. Hi, Mrs. Johnson. You know, we did. We left you in country, but here's a uh, here's a cup of soup. Yeah, it's. I mean, look, this is just such a great tragedy, and we were. It was time to get out, and President Trump and many others said it was time to get out. But getting out does not mean doing it the way they did. The tactical mistake of giving up Bagram Air Base, the President Biden's insistence on being out by August 31st. You want to know why they were doing that? Because they didn't want to bump up against September 11th and the contrast of the two 20 years of failure and then being in charge of that 20 years of failure. And then the other thing is that cynically, they think as long as American journalists aren't there or global journal, international journalists, there's no story. They cynically believe that Afghanistan will fade from the headlines, they will not be stuck with any blame for how it went down, and that they'll just skate on to re-election in 2022 for the House and the Senate in 2024, not even caring about the human catastrophe they created. But, KT, isn't it fair to say that the American people don't have the foreign policy passion you have and that they do focus more domestically and how it affects them individually? Now more than ever with this pandemic, perhaps. So maybe they're banking on that. I want you to hear who Joe Biden's blaming, though. 
My predecessor had made a deal with the Taliban. When I came into office, we faced a deadline, May 1. The Taliban onslaught was coming. We faced one of two choices. Follow the agreement of the pre previous administration and extend it to have or extend to have more time for people to get out. Or send in thousands of more troops and escalate the war. When I was running for president, I made a commitment to the American people that I would end this war. Today, I've honored that commitment. So he says that's the choice, surge troops or go by Donald Trump's deal. Is that the true choice? No. And if he had only gone by Donald Trump's deal, we wouldn't be in the mess we were in. President Trump had started evacuating Americans over a year ago from Afghanistan, Americans and winding down the diplomatic representation at the embassy. But President Biden and his just neuralgic, obsessive, if Donald Trump did it, I'm going to undo it. I don't care if it's right or wrong. I'm not even going to bother to analyze it. I'm just going to do the opposite. So President Biden stopped evacuating Americans. That was the tragedy. President Trump's plan and the timeline was that we would have had all Americans out by the end of May, and we didn't do it with a lot of noise or a lot of fanfare, but we were consistently doing it. And so he wasn't even following President Trump's plan. But the idea that you've had to surge a lot of troops, I mean, that also is an incorrect and a false comparison. The Afghans knew we were getting out. The Afghan government knew we were getting yep. out. The Taliban knew we were getting out. The way he he did it, the, pro, the telling people don't leave, huh. I mean, that's what they did. They told American diplomats, don't leave, because if it looks like if, if you leave, it'll give the wrong impression. That's the same conversation that we now know President Biden had with the Afghan president. He said, pretend that everything is going to be great and you're staying strong, even if it's not the case. Let's just make sure we spin it the right way was the implication. So not only is, are you referring to this Reuters report, they got a hold of the transcript, not denied, pointing to Ghani's uh, conversation with the president of the United States. He says, uh, uh, so he basically was said, the perception is, and I'll read it uh, relatively verbatim. Let me just get right to the right page. Uh, Biden said the Afghan government has 300,000 well-equipped forces uh, in the army. He said the loss is not inevitable. But then when he talks to Ghani four weeks before the Kabul collapse, he pleaded for more air support, Ghani said, and money for soldiers. They have not had a raise in 10 years. Now, I'm, I'm not sure how corrupt he is. I'm pretty sure he's corrupt and was taking a lot of money for himself. But when Biden says nobody could have known it could have collapsed, he's wrong. He urged Ghani to change the perception that the Afghan government is losing. So Ghani comes back and says, we're faced with a full-scale invasion composed of the Taliban, the full Pakistani planning and logistical support, and at least ten to 15,000 international terrorists, predominantly Pakistanis, thrown into this. Pakistan, we have relations with KT McFarlane. You know that. And they're yeah. a dicey group where the ISI really runs things. I understand that. But there's pressures we could have put on them. He asked for air cover, air support, front-loaded to help the challenges faced by the Afghan army as they set in on Kabul. He got nothing, nor did he even get a phone call from Biden pressuring the Pakistanis to knock it off. We have a lot of leverage over Pakistan, and that's what we've never used, and I've never understood why. You know, starting with September 11th in 2001, when we had the Afghan al-Qaeda, including Osama bin Laden, completely surrounded. There were 200 of them left. We had killed the rest of them. And instead of going in and finishing the kill, we um, turned.
turned it over, political decision, military decision of the United States, turned it over to the Afghans to do it, and they didn't do it. And so here's Osama bin Laden on a couple of buses, and they went through the tunnels and the caves of the Tora Bora Mountains between Afghanistan and Pakistan, and they went out the other side in Pakistan. So instead of meeting them on the other side, American forces could have just bombed them and killed the men in there and finished them off. No, we didn't do that. We turned to Pakistan, and we said, Pakistan, here's about $2 billion a year, which is a lot of money to you guys. Why don't you finish off Osama bin Laden and you finish off al-Qaeda? Well, what do the Pakistan government do? Thank you very much. $2 billion a year. We actually probably need more. But they never wanted to find al-Qaeda. They never wanted to stop Osama bin Laden. They knew the minute they did that, that $2 billion would disappear. So they strung us on for over a decade. And the only reason we were able to get Osama bin Laden is because we didn't let the Pakistan government know we were doing it. And, we have a lot of financial leverage over Pakistan. So with all, his, with all his foreign policy experience and all his contacts, he didn't pick up the phone. He didn't say, I'm going to help you out with some drone strikes because we know that country at the back of our hands at this point. He did nothing. He just wanted out. And he would be willing to, as soon as we were gone, he didn't care what happened. Now, what I find really disturbing is General Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, on the phone call with Ghani, said, the perception of the United States and Europe and the media sort of thing is a narrative of Taliban momentum and a narrative of Taliban victory. And we need to collectively demonstrate and try to turn that perception around. Excuse me? You are a general. Help him out with strategy, tactics, people. You don't say change the perception. Are you stunned by this? The chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Joe Dunford, would have said that? No, Dunford never would have said that, and I'm not stunned that General Milley said it. The generals now, they're a bunch of political guys. They're very woke. They're very very focused on being political and woke and looking good and, and politically correct, but they're not focused on war fighting. There was a report that it was um, that Congress did of the Navy, and they went and looked at Navy commanders and Navy enlisted men. Not the senior guys, but they asked the junior guys, the guys who were actually in the fleet, and they said, how do you perceive our ability to fight a naval battle against China or our adversaries? And the Navy, 98% of them came back and said, we're not prepared. And the reason we're not prepared is the focus of the modern-day Navy and the armed forces is on political correctness and filling out the forms and wokeism. It's not on warfighting capabilities. So am I surprised that General Milley and others on the Joint Chiefs of Staff said, look, let's worry about the perception and the politics and the spin and the PR and not worried about the actual warfighting? I'm not in the least bit surprised. And the thing is, this is not a think tank, KT McFarlane. We could go back and forth and talk about change. We have been humiliated on the national stage. And it's so beyond Republican and Democrat. Uh, I I, I think it affects everyone that understands the ramifications of his actions uh, to its core. And I I just think we're living something that if we were around in 1975, I would have felt uh, that I actually, you know, would have been cognizant of. This is worse. And I I just cannot believe the most experienced foreign policy guy would screw up this bad. Even if I disagreed with him, I would think he'd have enough smarts to know the ramifications of his actions— and the arrogance of saying he was successful is, is scary stupid. KT McFarland, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. one 408 I'll come back with your calls and your perception. You don't have to agree. Maybe you think I'm overstating this. Uh, I'm firmly in the camp that we're not. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen... 
The more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Just on July 8th, the president was saying there's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of an embassy of the United States from Afghanistan. Uh, They were clinging to airplanes in those early days. Uh, He was touting the Afghan forces, saying, I trust the capacity of the Afghan military. The president said they were ready, they were prepared for this, but no one was prepared for 11 days for the Taliban to take over. Uh, The president also promising on July 8th that we can guarantee the safety of the interpreter There are thousands of interpreters in Afghanistan right now who are desperate and frightened. That is Martha Raddatz, who has spent too much time on the ground to cover for President Biden. Too much. Uh, I mean, I'm watching NBC, too, and and you watch Clarissa Ward, former CBS, now with CNN. So they don't want to take Biden down. They want to make sure Trump doesn't come back. They want to make sure Republicans are not in control. But you can't deny the arrogance and the idiocy that we've all witnessed here. And that's why I thought it was important for you to do that. Actually, Eric thought it was important. He said, more raddits. And I said, fire away. So I am—I read the six pages that Donald Trump had. And I don't believe that he would have followed through with this because the Taliban didn't follow through at their end of the agreement. It would have stopped. Also, I don't believe President Trump in a million years would have been uh, if Barader, who is now leading the Taliban and was then, he got contacted the government to say, I'm going to enter Kabul or you enter Kabul because the ministries have been abandoned by the Afghan government. There's no way Trump would have said, you go. Here he is. Cut eight. Well, it should have been a positive, and it was a massive negative by anybody that uh, has a brain and that reads 95 percent of even the media that you talk about. It's uh, it's terrible. The platter was set. We're all set to have a victory in terms of getting out and getting out with dignity, and you could even say with victory. And uh, it was all lined up. The Taliban was petrified of us. They were all— They were just staying away, and all he had to do is take what we did and finish it up and take all the equipment out. I actually said every nail, every screw, I want everything out, and the people out, obviously. You start with the people and then the equipment. And listen, if you're talking about humanitarian aid, Trump's not the guy. If you talk about giving, uh, uh, forming international trade agreements, Trump's not the guy. But when you talk about hardware, oil, economics— Leaving stuff behind? Take Trump at his word on that. I, ho- I hope you understand that that's, that's a fact. That's not my opinion. Cindy in Texas. Hey, Cindy, listen on KWFS. Hi, Brian. I just wanted to comment. I just listened to you and KT, and she was talking about, well, what the president said, that these people still need financial aid and all that, that they need our assistance. But I thought, how in the world would we get it to them? Would it be given to the Taliban to distribute? Yep. I mean, this is very scary stuff. And I also want to say I love our military. I love how you stand for them. We have got to get rid of the Secretary of Defense and General Milley, and we need more people like Jack King. I would be great if he's in there and if it'd be so smart for them to listen. You know, he stepped aside. His his uh, wife uh, was getting sick, so he stepped aside, but he still uh, helped President Bush and helped General Petraeus and helped General McChrystal uh, author the surge in Afghanistan as well as Iraq. He's still available today, had the ear of the President Trump, and they'd be so smart to call on him now. Jim, listen, in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Hey, Jim. 
Hey, Brian, how are you? Good. What's in so, your mind? Uh, I'm down here. I'm down here at Camp Lejeune, and I'll tell you what. There's a lot of dogs on the chains down here that want to be cut loose so they can eat. And uh, it's a shame. I'm a favorite bombing survivor from the 1983 barracks bombing. I was with 1st Battalion, 8th Marines, Battalion Landing Team. And uh, my commanding general was General Al Gray, who became the commandant. And he had a warrior's ethos. And uh, he, 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 as a general, was a leader. These generals today are so woke and practicing uh, CRT and everything else. And even the sergeant major of the uh, Army, on the day these poor souls passed away, was out there giving a speech on, uh, you know, race relations and stuff. I know. But it's a shame. It's a shame. And uh, I'll tell you what. I have two sons over there right now. But they're not – my one son's no longer in Kabul. And my other son is over in Bahrain. And uh, – Wow. Supporting the fleet. How, how and, is he doing, uh, Jim? How's he doing? Well, there, my one son is, was a staff NCO officer in charge of uh, Sergeant D. And it kind of it, hit us very hard down here. They have a big memorial on the side of the road. And, yeah. Uh, Camp and yeah, I, it's unbelievable what happened, Jim. We're going to have to end it there. It's the end of our hour. But thanks for your service for you and your whole family. And I understand how disappointed you are about our leadership, but not of the fighting force. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Coming to you from around the country, coming to you actually from New York, but heard around the country and around the world, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. General Keith Kellogg will be with us. Always great to have him on, especially because of his proximity to the president, former president of the United States, President Trump. And so much is brought up about the six-page deal they framed out with the Taliban and President uh, Biden saying, hey, the guy saddled me with a bad deal. What do you want me to do? I extended it till uh, end of August. And that was yesterday. We are gone from Afghanistan, but the terror threat has never been greater. Joe Lieberman, in a matter of moments on that, the former Democrat from Connecticut, uh, now and General Keith Kellogg at the bottom of the hour. Before we get to the senator, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. He is grateful to their sons and daughters, the sacrifice uh, they made to the country that he knows uh, firsthand from spending a lot of time with him over the past couple of days, that he was deeply impacted by these family members who he met uh, just two days ago. Gold star backlash. Biden's blockading uh, uh, blockading and boredom and watch uh, and watch checking has many members of the new uh, gold star families fuming at the commander in chief. Mr. President, it's not about you. It's not about your family. It's not about blaming Trump. It's about those families. Number two. The bottom line, 90% of Americans in Afghanistan who wanted to leave were able to leave. I think he lied to us because there's no way. I don't believe this 10% crap. I think there are hundreds, if not a thousands, of Americans left behind. 
That's, uh, of course, Senator Lindsey Graham. 10% left behind. That's why America, that's America's new credo. If we adopt Biden's philosophy, as he admits, about 10% of the Americans in Afghanistan could not leave. Can you be more callous? How do we get the remaining families out? That's up to the Secretary of State Blinken, who has proven to be totally incompetent. Number one. My predecessor had made a deal with the Taliban. When I was running for president, I made a commitment to the American people that I would end this war. Today... I've honored that commitment. Oh, at what cost? A success? That's what Joe Biden told the nation, Afghanistan's evacuation. In a defiant message, he said it was a success. It was inept. It was tragic. It was bloody. It was a retreat. It was a surrender. And it was unnecessary. And the terror threat remains in 2021, 22, and beyond. And he could argue that it's even greater. Senator Joe Lieberman joins us now, chairman of the United Against Nuclear Iran. Don't even bring up Iran. For now, Senator Lieberman, welcome back. I know he's your buddy, but you've got to be disappointed in what you've witnessed. Yeah, thanks, Brent. Good to be back with you. Oh, I'm very disappointed. Uh, first off, uh, though, though we know each other and served together for 24 years. I think the president has been wrong about Afghanistan for quite a long time because he's been wanting to uh, um, withdraw our troops. And uh, he keeps repeating, and others do, including some in the media, that that we just ended America's longest war um, in Afghanistan. My uh, strong belief is that we were no longer at war there. We had won the war, and we were switched now to a counterterrorism uh, effort, uh, a small number of people, 150,000 were there during the war. We were down to 2,500. Truth is, we had not lost an American soldier since February of 2020 until the 13 were tragically killed by the terrorists as part of the, as a consequence of the decision to withdraw and the, and the botched um, evacuation plan. So, yeah, I'm, I'm disappointed, and I think we're all going to pay for it, first of all, the people of Afghanistan. But but we, too, because there's no question, notwithstanding all the sweet talk from some of the Taliban leaders, they're, they're, that's not who they are. They're, they are a radical Islamist terrorist group, and they're going to welcome other radical Islamist terrorist groups to Afghanistan who will aim to strike us from there, as al-Qaeda did, on 9-11. I mean, it's just tragic and totally unnecessary. The, the country and America's role in it had reached a balance. We should have left it alone. And uh, it was worth it. It was the it would have been a counterterrorist operation. And Barack Obama changed it, uh, changed the stance in 2014. It was no longer we would no longer be leading with the Afghans leading. And we would have an eye with the Bagram base. We'd have an eye on China an eye on Iran an eye on Pakistan. And of course, an eye on Al Qaeda and the Taliban. Right. And that was effective. It was a rotation. But I want you to hear the false choice that Senator, now President Biden, put out, cut for. My predecessor had made a deal with the Taliban. When I came into office, we faced a deadline, May 1. The Taliban onslaught was coming. We faced one of two choices. Follow the agreement of the pre- previous administration and extend it to have or extend have more time for people to get out or send in thousands of more troops and escalate the war. I can drive an 18-wheeler through that argument. Can you? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a totally unacceptable excuse. I mean, let me deal with it first because, um, you know, I I disagreed with what President Trump wanted to do. Uh, General Jack Keane, 
and I actually wrote an open letter to President Trump urging him not to withdraw from Afghanistan. As it happened, he never did, not because of our letter. But the point is that President Biden has had no trouble changing an enormous number of the Trump administration policies, including international ones. <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, President Trump pulled out of the uh, Paris Climate Change Accord, or now the World Health Organization. Uh, President Biden went back into both of those. And, and if he, uh, he, he could easily have said, um, no, um, I, I, don't, uh, I don't agree with President Trump on this. I'm not carrying out this agreement. But the truth is he did agree with President Trump on it. He had been saying it for years, and we're paying the consequences. I just say one other brief word, and, you know, I cannot believe that the Joe Biden I know really thinks this went as it should, this evacuation from Afghanistan. But his reaction, and this happens with leaders sometimes, is totally defensive and defiant. And that, that really is not good for our country. Honestly, he should, most of all, be initiating a, a very intensive review. Maybe he doesn't want to question his own judgment about withdrawing, but wow, once you make that decision, the evacuation could not have been uh, handled in a worse way. And he ought to look back and say, well, how did this happen? And uh, who is responsible? And, and frankly, uh, are there some people around them uh, who we ought to remove and bring in new people? So and, that's, and, I, that's, and I appreciate where you're coming from. You know the guy. You like the guy. And you're a Democrat. I do. And, and I you, do. But you, you call it as you see it. And you go back to another Democrat, and that was Bill Clinton after Black Hawk Down and the Mogadishu. Right. Uh, when the bombing in Beirut in 1983, Reagan, Reagan didn't deny there were failures. Joe, uh, Bill Clinton didn't deny there were failures. John Kennedy, after the Bay of Pigs, didn't deny there were yep. failures. He owned up to it. He didn't say Eisenhower gave me the plan. That was found out afterwards, <laughs> and he got better from it. So this makes me think he's not going to grow from it, and it drives people crazy. Don't you? Well, it, go ahead. Yeah, it, it does. For me too. I mean, you know, Kennedy was my great <clears throat> inspirational hero, and uh, I was, you know, really upset about the Bay of Pigs. But but he was strong enough um, to know that he better figure out what what happened. Why 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 was that such a failure? And he corrected some stuff. And I would say never again uh, did anything like that. That that's the test. A really a great leader. Uh, you know, if, if uh, I'd say this, Brian, if, the, uh, if, if America was a parliamentary democracy, in my opinion, the Afghan uh, crisis, really the, the, the disaster, um, probably would have brought down the Biden government, as it does in places like England after something like this. But, it, but we're not a parliamentary democracy, and the truth is that uh, President Biden has almost three and a half years in office, and really, it, it's really critical to our national security and, frankly, to his credibility that he do exactly the kind of uh, intensive review of what happened here that you described that Clinton, Reagan, and Kennedy did, and they both, uh, all three of them were better presidents uh, as a result. That has to be, too, but now after that speech yesterday, 30 minutes of defiance, how dare you, yeah. and false and false arguments. Now, the this is what could make it worse. We recognize the Taliban. We pay off billions like we did with the Iranian deal, and I know you're fight, you're strongly against this Iranian deal. Right. I think he could be going back into that in order to get our people back, the people with dual citizenship, the 24 high school kids from Sacramento, California, 
you know, the uh, the 2008 uh, uh, aid the guy who helped save Senator Joe Biden when his right. chopper went down in 2008. All these guys got to get out. And guess what the Taliban wants? Money and recognition. Senator Lieberman, we got to make sure they get neither. I totally agree with you, Brian. I mean, they're looking at the scenes from uh, Afghanistan the last couple of weeks. It's, it's like a nightmare, and it's the world uh, turned up, upside down because now you've got a terrorist group running the country, providing security, you got the Akani network, which has the blood of so many Americans and others <clears throat> on its hands, and and its leaders are in charge of security in Kabul. <clears throat> we can't we can't deal with these people. Um, I, I'd give them a year at least to prove that they really have changed, but they won't change. They haven't changed. They have a not just an ideology, but a theology. That, that commits them to a way of life that will be destructive to the Afghan people and, and that will ultimately lead them, maybe sooner than later, uh, to strike at the U.S., including uh, at our homeland. So I, I push them away and let them suffer uh, economically and hope that that uh, maybe gives them a little inducement uh, to, to, to actually do some of the better things they're talking about. The other thing, frankly, I would do, and I know people will say, oh, there you go again. Uh, Joe, you're getting us back into it. There's a, a, a remarkably heroic group of Afghans who are in the Panjshir Valley that have begun a resistance. And, uh, you know, the least we could, I'm not saying we send our troops back in, <clears throat> but we ought to give them some support. And, and that includes weapons. <clears throat> with which to fight the Taliban that now has, oh, my God, hundreds of millions, probably billions of dollars worth of American weapons that we have left behind. The vice president and Massoud are leading that up the now, for Afghan army, and they repelled the Taliban attack the other day. So they do, do have they do have some type of strategy and weaponry. But if they're going to need things like vaccines, food, Guns. Right. Now, I don't want to name, like we don't want to own the next Mujahideen, but it's pretty pretty secure that the Afghan government officers, as well as Massoud, are people that we don't have to worry about turning on us. But I want to cut tap into another area of your expertise. You know, diplomacy and doublespeak in politicians. I'm worried that Jake Sullivan's doing exactly what we are worried about too: aid and recognition to the Taliban. Listen to what he said on GMA this morning. Cut twelve. We do believe that there is an important dimension of humanitarian assistance that should go directly to the people of Afghanistan. They need help with respect to health and food aid and other forms of subsistence, and we do intend to continue that. Secondly, when it comes to our economic and development assistance relationship with the Taliban, that will be about the Taliban's actions. So wait, we have no way of knocking on doors, handing it out to the Johnsons or the... or the. Um or the Rockefellers in Afghanistan, we're going to have to give it to a central location. What's he talking about? Yeah, well, it alarms me. I mean, look, there may be a role for international uh, aid organizations, maybe even the United Nations, but I I don't think we should do that. I don't think we should jump to that. Again, these people in the Taliban have have killed us. They've supported people who who killed us uh, on 9-11. And, and uh, there's no reason to think they won't continue to do it. So I, I think we just have to keep the pressure on them and to support the the people of Afghanistan. Most of them now are terrified. There's enormous refugee flows, as you know, out of the country. I mean, people are 
speaking with their feet, and the women are terrified, staying in their homes for fear of what the Taliban will do for them. Why would we want to come in and prop up uh, the government of Afghanistan today, the Taliban, which is so terrified uh, its own people? I, I just think it's a mistake, and I I hope that uh, President Biden and Sullivan don't follow through on what they've just described. It's not for us to do. They are our enemies until they prove otherwise, and it's not going to be proven in a day or a month. It's going to take a long time because of all, and I repeat, all of the blood <clears throat> the Taliban, and it's American blood, too, have on their hands. Senator Liebman, thanks so much for speaking so candidly. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. It's really important, and, and thank you for speaking candidly, too. All the best. God bless. All right. Go get him, Senator. one 408 7669 Or you want to write me, BrianKilmeade.com. I'll find out what you have to say about these uh, historic moments. Uh, Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Will the United States be recognizing the Taliban as the government of Afghanistan anytime soon? I don't think anytime soon. I don't know if we will ever recognize their government. What we know is that the Taliban is, says they're going to form a government. We'll see what that looks like. We'll see what kind of credentials they present. More importantly, we'll see what their conduct is. Do they honor their commitments to allow freedom of travel? Do they respect human rights? I think the question of recognizing uh, a new government in Afghanistan is down the road here. That is Ryan Klein, chief of staff. A lot of people think the prime minister essentially running things for Joe Biden. Or is it Susan Rice? I'm not sure. But he did leave the door open. The Taliban could be a part of the world community. Are you kidding me? They're a terrorist organization. That is it. And they are right now technically in charge of Afghanistan. Interesting. Senator Lindsey Graham today said he predicts it's flat out civil war because ISIS-K evidently doesn't like the Taliban. I'll believe it when I see it. Haqqani Network just keep flipping sides. They're with the outliers, which were the Taliban. Now that they're in power, how could they possibly agree? Because these guys don't want to run things. They don't want to be mature. They don't want to be accountants. They want to be terrorists. When you stop killing people and have to govern, uh, a lot of times you have trouble keeping the troops together. So you pick an enemy and you send them out after that enemy. Some of the people are writing me now. And uh, Ken writes this, Brian, consider uh, splitting the story into two parts, just like the difference between the decision to leave Afghanistan and the execution of the evacuation. No one argues the decision as we have left is a catastrophe. First state, there are two parts of the story. I get it. I understand it. Personally, just to be consistent, I am not for leaving Afghanistan. I thought President Trump should not have left Afghanistan, not because I thought we were going to conquer the country and make a democracy. That ended in around 2004. I wanted to stay in Afghanistan because that's where the terrorists were coming. That's where the Taliban was pushing. That's where al-Qaeda was using. And that was an important place to be right in the middle where any of these organizations started. Remember, the mother of all bombs, the Moab, was dropped by President Trump first month of his presidency or second month because the al-Qaeda started gathering again in Afghanistan. It's one of those things you got to be persistent and consistent. And I ask you this. It was not a hot war. And I know we had a deal they wouldn't kill our guys. But even prior to that, we were losing single digits, barely double digits. We had more in training accidents in Afghanistan. And they were playing a valuable role to stop the next 9-11. We, if we're not in Afghanistan, past the invasion, we don't get bin Laden. If you're not in Afghanistan, you don't understand about ISIS, the manifestations, the relationships. We were there. The CIA had secret bases, four or five. We had seven overall. 
not because we wanted to stand up the Afghan regime. We were. And we had to diminish the contribution to their ministries. Absolutely. But with Afghanistan, it was a vision and a looking glass into the manifestations of these terrorist groups. And if you explained that to the American people, they would have understood it. But saying we want to establish a democracy is never, has not been the goal for 20 years. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I can tell you this, though, about what the Taliban has done. They established a firm perimeter outside of the airfield to prevent people from coming on the airfield during our departure. And we've we've worked that with them for a number of days. They did not have direct knowledge of our time of departure. We choose to keep that. We chose to keep that uh, very information very restricted, but they were uh, actually very helpful and useful to us as we close down operations. That was General McKenzie talking to how great the Taliban were, which is unbelievable, unthinkable. They are a new ally. Is that okay with Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, a key advisor to President Trump, who spent 30 years in the military? Uh, General Kellogg, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. I really do appreciate it. So, General yeah, I, Kellogg, uh, what would, how would you characterize the president's speech yesterday uh, trying to justify his embarrassing exit from Afghanistan? You know, I, I really um, – Brian, I kind of had to bite my tongue. I mean, he, he was duplicitous. But the president of the United States in his speech to the American people – lied to them last night. And let me zero in on one thing. He talked about Trump and the Trump plan. That is contradicted by the written word. I was there with the president of the United States in the Situation Room in the Overworld. I was with him through H.R. McMaster and through John Bolton and Robert O'Brien as his national security advisors. I listened to everything. I was part of the, I was part of the plan, part of the execution of the plan on how to disengage. And if we had followed, if they had followed the plan we put forth, you would not have seen what you saw in the last three weeks. It wouldn't have happened because we'd still be there. There'd be some type of coalition government of working together. We had hoped to have a military structure there. Our embassy would be open with all the assets that we generally have in an embassy from the intelligence assets all the way down. And he sat there and he boldface told the American people things that were not true. And here's what's more important. Last night he told the American people, it's okay if we leave 10% of Americans behind. Because he said 90% of the Americans we got out. That means it's okay. We left 10% there. That to me is a terrible, terrible comment. You leave one American behind, that's one American too many. I've never in my life heard of of an American official saying it's okay to leave 10% behind. I mean, is he crazy? I never. I, I know what you guys do when a person dies in battle. To get a, a deceased soldier from behind enemy lines, you'll risk your life to do it. And let alone 10% of Americans with dual citizenship or somebody who may have played a key role in the 20-year war, but were willing to do that. And what the president keeps doing is using a false choice. Either I rip up the agreement and surge troops or I go abide with the agreement and get America out of harm's way. That is not the choice. Yeah, 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 Brian, and it's a great point. I've said this repeatedly over the last several weeks. 
we had an option. He had an option. The option was to go there and then reinforce the area. And then shockingly, we find now we were in negotiation with the Taliban. We ignored that. We basically said, no, no, you control the outer perimeter. So the individual that said it's okay for the Taliban to have control of the area outside of the airport, and the official that decided we would not add more troops to push the airhead out and get those is responsible partially for the lives of those 13 great Americans, the American heroes that we lost the other day, because that would not have happened if American troops had been able to push that perimeter out. And now we're trusting the Taliban. I mean, it's just um, it's stunning to me, those admissions that have come forward. And again, I'll just circle back because I want to reinforce it. He made the comment. He, the president of the United States, made the comment last night that it's okay to leave 10 percent of the Americans behind. That is shocking, shocking to me. And I don't know how we're getting them out. And one of the people saved him in 2008 when his chopper went down with John Kerry in it and Senator Hagel in it. And it was not crashed down, but it was forced down because of the weather. And you had one of these aides come up and navigate through a winter, wintry conditions, stay with him for 30 hours. And now he says, I'd like to get out with my family. But they said, you cannot get out. So Joe Biden has not answered the call from the White House from the guy that saved his life. In fact, I have the cut from Joe Biden in 2008. Yeah, this is his aide. He's going by the name Muhammad. Let's if listen. you want to know where Al-Qaeda lives, if you want to know where Bin Laden is, come back to Afghanistan with me. Come back to the area where my helicopter was forced down with a three-star general and three United States senators at 10,500 feet in the middle of those mountains. I can tell you where they are. And that aide that found him and stayed with him is asking to get out because we left without him. Yeah, it's it's stunning. I mean, uh, a lot of those we've left behind. Um, it's it just um, it, and blaming them. It's, it's absolutely amazing. You know, I, people just sit here and I just I'm just stunned by some of the things that he said out there. I think his credibility is gone. I think uh, you know he's set a kind of a track record on his decision making, which is really really bad. And you know, I now think back to about what Bob Gates said. Um, you know, Gates is former uh, former director of the CIA and was a secretary of defense uh, for Obama, said, you know, Joe Biden's been wrong on nearly every national security decision in the last 40 years. And I said, man, I'm reaching a point. I'd just like to know which ones he was right on. I mean, this is a guy who, in the Situation Room, made a recommendation not to go after Osama bin Laden. Uh, that was stunning to me and supported uh, other bad decisions in not only the Obama administration, but in the U.S. Senator. So he set a pattern, Brian, and this pattern, frankly, is one of incompetence and is one of, of, of true right. uh, inability to make hard decisions and, and having the political will and the moral and fiber and moral will to go forward. The key aide to President Trump with us now, uh, Lieutenant General uh, Keith Kellogg. General, how do, you, how do you characterize the former president of Afghanistan, President Ghani? Yeah, look, Brian, I, I I didn't trust the guy for a long time. <laughs> he just reinforced that when he had how he left. You know, that's so much for standing with your colors and holding on and then running out. And here's what's interesting, Brian, is is we we knew that. You know, um, we have the capacity, the capability uh, with the intelligence sources to find out about things about people uh, going forward. And we we knew he's a very very weak link. That's why. 
when we were sitting with the Taliban, when the president of the United States called Berarder on the phone, the Taliban political director, we knew that Ghani had to leave, that Ghani was not going to be part of this government going forward because he was a corrupt official and he had no moral fiber. And we kind of backed him up, and but we also said, this guy shouldn't be where he's at. And I would have loved to sat and listened to what President Biden said to him when he was in the Oval Office, when he sat next to him uh, going forward, because it, clearly it didn't resonate, whatever he said, or he didn't apply pressure to him. But we applied pressure to Ghani. And what I mean by we applied pressure, when we went through these peace discussions out there, the president of the United States called Ghani, the vice president called Ghani. Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, called Ghani. Uh, Secretary of State Pompeo called and talked to Ghani and went and went and saw him as well. We made it very, very clear to him what he had to do for this thing to work going forward. So he was, to me, Brian, the true weak link in all of this uh, because he was really the wrong guy in the wrong place at the wrong time. And uh, he proved that by cutting and running uh, with, with apparently – not only money, but a lot of his aid. So uh, it's good riddance there. So Ghani, uh, this is, Reuters got a hold of a transcript where Ghani was talking to Biden. And here's an excerpt. Uh, Ghani uh, said they were saying, so this is what Joe Biden said. Uh, Biden said the Afghan government has 300,000 well-equipped men in an army, an air force against something like 75,000 Taliban. Four weeks before Kabul collapsed, Ghani pleaded for more air support and money for soldiers who had not been paid, got a pay increase in 10 years. When Biden told him to get the warlords together and Karzai together to fight unified, Ghani responded by saying Afghanistan was facing not just the Taliban, but their foreign backers. Quote, we are facing a full-scale invasion composed of the Taliban, full Pakistani planning and logistical support, and at least ten to 15,000 international terrorists, predominantly Pakistanis, thrown into this mix. He would not, he, he asked for a front-loaded air, uh, air, air support, and, and Biden did nothing. But he did know he could have applied pressure, am I right, General Kellogg, on the Pakistanis to back the hell out, correct? Yeah, no, that's true. Let me tell you, Brian, absolutely. Let, let me tell you what um, uh, what Trump did with Pakistan. One, he called Prime Minister Khan, who he had known from years earlier, uh, and he had a good relationship with Khan. And we applied a lot of pressure on him. We also, we also, uh, I'm going to phrase this kind of interestingly. Uh, we also made sure there was no sanctuaries in Pakistan, and we uh, did things called flight boxes. And flight boxes are areas that you can fly drones into and use them as targets. But we basically said there's no more flight boxes in Pakistan. I mean, regardless of where the enemy's at, we're going to find them, we're going to kill them. So Khan knew that, and we knew that as well. So we were able to apply a lot of pressure on the Pakistanis, the ISI. And the ISI was working. You know, we we talked to the, the senior officials in the Pakistani military and their intelligence services, and we said very clearly, look, we're going to target people. Don't get in our way. Biden kind of backed off from that. He didn't talk to Khan. He didn't talk to Borog. He didn't talk to anybody about going forward. So we ensured that the, the, the situation remained relatively stable. When we left the White House, there was kind of everything was kind of neutral, and we were, that's the reason we were heading towards a peace deal. But it was after that we left the White House. It was actually after November when everything started to pick up, and they started the Taliban went started running wild. Part of the reason, Brian, they were running wild is Biden never talked to the Taliban. 
part of President Trump's charm is that he would reach out to anybody and talk to anybody if it served America's interest. That's the reason he picked up the phone and called Barader. That's the reason he talked to talked to Khan in Pakistan, and he would make it very, very personal. Biden never did that. Biden never picked up the phone and called Khan. Biden never picked up and called Barader. By the way, when this thing was all collapsing, Biden didn't even pick up the phone and call our allies. He didn't call Merkel. He Thirty-six call hours. Merkel. Yeah. He didn't call Boris Johnson. So we we made some pretty hard calls, and, and I was in the room when it was done. And the president, I admire President Trump for picking up the phone and doing it. He said, I can make these deals work. And that's what we were trying really hard to do. And, uh, and I, I, honestly, Brian, I think we had a shot at it. If, if our plan had worked, was it a perfect plan? No, it wasn't. But it would have prevented what you're seeing today. Well, I know that Trump would have never have allowed Kabul to fall if given the choice, especially when Barara called the White House and said, somebody's got to take Kabul, me or you. And he said, you guys take it. We just need the airport. My goodness, what are they thinking? Uh, lastly, General Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, quote, the perception in the United States, he tells Ghani, in Europe and the media sort of thing is a narrative of the Taliban momentum and the narrative of Taliban victory. And we need collectively to demonstrate and try to turn that perception and that narrative around. Really? He's worried about a narrative and perception? He's a military guy. Yeah, you know, Brian, I've got to ask yourself, you know, I ask everybody out there. If President Trump had done that and his chairman of the Joint Chiefs had done that, articles of impeachment would have already been uh, absolutely. Put into, and and that is something that is stunning. That was that those comments that the president made to Ghani, Millie made to Connie, and everybody else made to Ghani, those are far worse than the letter and the discussion the president had uh, with the Are you a supporter of General Milley? Are you one of the generals that thinks he should resign? Well, I yeah, I do. Brian, here's why. Look, I don't think it's just Milley. I think the whole national security team is broken. And I mean Jake Sullivan, uh, Tony Blinken, State, Lloyd Austin, and Mark Milley. And here's why. Because there's got to be a change to the national security team for confidence to be reinstated with the American people. And all all of them bear some of it. Uh, But I will tell you, it's not going to happen because I don't think they're going to resign, and I don't think they're going to get fired as well. But that's the only way you make changes, because if you keep the same team you had, had there, it's not going to go forward. Look, I'll give you a sports analogy. If, if you have a team that's a constant losing record, what normally happens is, is the owner of the team, let's say the American people, they fire the coach. They get rid of them and start with a new coaching staff in business. If you have a company that is losing money, you get a new CEO, you get a new chief operating officer. So I'm saying, look, this has all got to apply. There's accountability here. Somebody is accountable for the bad actions that have happened out there. You know, I'm reminded of how the Navy operates. If you're a skipper of a boat, of a ship, and you're the skipper and you're sound asleep and an accident happens at 3 o'clock in the morning and you run into something, even though you're sound asleep, you're responsible, you're fired. No, People are accountable, and, and the American people should demand accountability and responsibility for what happened. General Kellogg, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. You got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. The President of the United States is lying. He called this an extraordinary success, but 12 Marines and one sailor dead that did not need to die 
is not a success. Hundreds of Americans left behind. Thousands more of our Afghan allies effectively condemned to death under the Taliban is not a success. Billions of dollars worth of U.S. military equipment left in the hands of fundamentalist terrorists is not a success. Far from a success, this is a fiasco and a humiliating failure. Congressman Gallagher uh, weighing in, and he's 100% right. And you know, some of those 13 in the families feel as though they Dover. What happened at Dover with the president checking his watch multiple times with him just bloviating about his own personal story, not listening to different people. I know people in their morning are angry. I understand people go through different phases, handle it differently. But I've never seen such concerted outrage from the family members of the 13 that were able to show up that day and greet the bodies of their loved ones. Here's a listen. You'll hear from Mark Schmitz, father of Lance Corporal Jared Schmidt, Cheyenne McCollum, sister of Marine Lance Corporal Riley McCollum, Jim, same family, uh, and then Paula Naus, mother of Army Staff Sergeant Ryan Naus. Listen to them. Cut 30. And I felt I owed it to my son to uh, at least have some words with him about how I felt. And uh, uh, it, it didn't go well. He talked a bit more about his own son than he did my son, and that, that didn't sit well with me. He would not look us in the eye. There was not an ounce of sympathy looking at his face. It was a, he tapped her on the knee and said, I know what you're going through. I lost my son. The way he has handled this, uh, everything he's done, every step along the way has been absolutely backwards. They have fumbled the ball every step of the way. If Mr. Biden would like to tell me how I can sleep better at night right now, or any American can, while he is serving in administration, please give me a call and let me know how I can sleep tonight, a full night. Because my son, like all of sons and daughters, he didn't make it home. And it is on your watch. Paula Naus, mother of Staff Sergeant Ryan Naus. Brian Kilmeade, thanks for listening. News Radio Studios in New York City. Fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Bottom of the hour, Congressman Michael McCall, ranking member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, has been the leading voice of logic and urgency when it comes to this war in Afghanistan and the idiotic way in which it was approached. Although, if you hear President Biden speak, he thinks he did a great job. Uh, and he's yelling at you, too. Wonderful uh, demeanor. Uh, what a horrible speech that was. It lasted 30 minutes. We'll try to make sense of it. And uh, John Roberts standing by, getting set to host his show, uh, America Reports, beginning at 1, finishing up at 3. Let's get to the big three. Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. He is grateful to their sons and daughters, the sacrifice uh, they made to the country, 
that he knows uh, firsthand from spending a lot of time with him over the past couple of days that he was deeply impacted by these family members who he met uh, oh, just two days ago. Gold star backlash. Biden, uh, Biden's uh, boredom and watch checking and personal storytelling was not what the Gold Star families wanted to hear. You'll hear from them. Number two. The bottom line, 90% of Americans in Afghanistan who wanted to leave were able to leave. I think he lied to us because there's no way. I don't believe this 10% crap. I think there are hundreds, if not a thousands, of Americans left behind. And and there's a story by Josh Rogan that basically proves that. Even 10% of the force gone What country is this? You think MacArthur said, I guarantee you that 90% of us will be back? Unbelievable. Do you think George Patton said, I wish I said that? Number one. My predecessor had made a deal with the Taliban. When I was running for president, I made a commitment to the American people that I would end this war. Today, I've honored that commitment. Yeah, a success. That's what President Biden told the nation's Afghanistan evacuation plan was. A defiant president berated his critics for condemning his inept, tragic, and bloody retreat from the den of terror. Even his own administration does not agree. Uh, Question, will America forget by 2022? Putting it in perspective, John Roberts, seen war, seen peace, seen the war on terror, election, uh, and now he'll cover it all between one and three today. John, I, I couldn't believe the president's demeanor yesterday. Did you expect it? Yeah, I fully expected everything that he was going to say. What's he going to do? Admit, though, we really screwed up. We left a lot of people behind. We lost 13 valued service members and uh, more than 170 Afghans in the chaotic uh, move to pull out after we so badly uh, forecast what was going to happen with the Afghan government and the Afghan military. I don't, I don't think – I mean, that would have been a very honest speech, but certainly not the speech that I expected the president would give. So, John, there's a story out today, and you might have seen it, that Josh Rogan put out. So the administration said they left between 100 and 200 people. It's always good to ballpark uh, individuals and families. Um, Josh Rogan said they left 600 people behind, 600 or so employees, contractors, and family members who work for the U.S.-sponsored news organization under the umbrella of the U.S. Agency for Global Media. Uh, They include journalists working for Voice of America, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, who have worked in Afghanistan for years at great personal risk. The Taliban has killed four of them. Uh, since 2016. Now the leaders of these organizations say the State Department promised to get them out. They left them behind. Do you believe this? Yes. Yeah, I know. And that, that just came out a little while ago. Uh, the State Department acknowledges, uh, at least sources in the State Department acknowledging that that is the case. I just tweeted about it a short time ago. And the fact that they, they, they said that they were going to get these people out, and then they sent messages saying it's too dangerous to come to the airport, shelter in place where you are, and now they're trying to get them out uh, by remote control from Doha and from Washington. And if you're the Taliban and you see all of these people who worked uh, in, in, in support of the United States mission and the Afghanistan government through Radio Free Europe or Radio Liberty, are you just going to say, oh, you know what, uh, sorry, you, you got stuck, uh, we'll give you an Uber to the airport and get you on the next plane out? Or will you take these people and say, you were essentially working for the enemy against us. Yep. And, you know, they will do whatever, you know, the Taliban does with people who were in opposition to them. I think it's very, very frightening for these 500 people 
and that's the number that the State Department is giving us through sources, uh, is very, very frightening for these people. And I'm sure that they're all very feel, fearful for their lives. And it's, it's, you know, it's employees and then their families as well, Brian. So there's not 500 employees, but 500 people in total. You can imagine they've got to be terrified about the prospect of staying another minute in Afghanistan. Yeah, in fact, Ben Cardin says, uh, quote, it is disheartening that so many professional journalists employed by the American-funded news organization have now been left behind. These Afghan allies are among the people most endangered at the present moment, which you just said. What I'm struck by, too, is a lot of Democrats can't spin this and can't change the subject. Uh, We saw two anonymous sources in a political story today I wanted to share with you. Uh, One was uh, U.S. does not... uh, Oh, well, there's some of the stuff that he said off the record. Politico says this from a staffer. I am absolutely appalled and literally horrified. We left Americans behind. He was another staffer said it was a hostage rescue of thousands of Americans in the guise of an NEO. And we have failed in a no fail mission. And the mission isn't accomplished and that they left Americans behind. So some people within the Biden administration are beginning to speak up. And we get the transcript of this Reuters story that talked about what went on between Ghani, uh, Gahani yeah. and President Biden, where they're only talking about perceptions, John Roberts. They're not talking about holding off the Taliban. They're talking about they're worried that it looks like we're losing the war to the Taliban. And, and that's just stunning as well. When you consider that Joe Biden had a conversation with Ashraf Ghani back in, in July in, in which he said, Uh, look, the perception is that things are not looking good. What we need you to do is get out there and change the narrative and make it look like things are good. I mean, (laughs) if if President Trump had been caught saying that, uh, Adam Adam Schiff would be like, you know, running to Capitol Hill, let alone getting on an airplane to start uh, impeachment proceedings against him. And, And it's just extraordinary to me that, the president is now saying, oh, nobody expected this was going to happen. This administration, this president knew that things were not going well and and that they needed to try to change the subject in some way, shape or form. And, and that that just wasn't going to happen with with Ghani. And, and it amazes me, too, that, you know, Ghani was the first guy out of Dodge. And, and you know, the initial reports where he had all of our money. Now, there were some reports, too, that they thought this guy was a thief. We were giving him billions. He was taking some for himself. But in this call, go ahead. In in fact, I'm sorry, Brian. I was just I was a little distracted because I was looking up something that I had prepared for a segment the other day. Ashraf Ghani posted on Facebook about his departure, his rapid departure from Afghanistan. Today, I came across a hard choice. I should stand to face the armed Taliban who want to enter the palace or leave the dear country that I dedicated my life to protecting. Contrast that with what Captain Jeff Ball, who was in charge of nine of the Marines who were killed at the Abbey Gate, posted on his Facebook page. He said, nine of my Marines and sailors gave their lives so that others may live. And almost 20 other members of the company were wounded by their side. So you've got the president of Afghanistan bugging out as quickly as possible to the UAE saying, oh, I faced a tough choice. And then you've got the commander of the Marines who were killed saying nine gave their lives so that others may live. An important contrast. And to show you how erroneous it was, 
Abdullah Abdullah, one of the vice presidents, and Karzai are dealing with the Taliban face-to-face. Another vice president is out leading the resistance with Massoud, the son of Massoud, who led the Northern Alliance. And this guy, Gahani, takes the money and runs with a chopper and some other people while his kids here in New York are demanding that he have safe passage back. Unbelievable. But to bring more into perspective here, General Milley, on the same transcript, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he's saying this to Gahani. The perception in the United States and and Europe and the media sort of thing is a narrative of Taliban momentum and a narrative of Taliban victory. And we need to collectively demonstrate and try to turn that perception, that narrative around. This is a general. And then General McKenzie chimed in, I don't believe time is our friend. We need to move quickly. Gahani earlier to the president said... Pakistanis have 10 to 15,000, and there are international terrorists there, and they're leading this charge. He wanted air cover, and Biden wouldn't give him air cover. He just wanted to change the perception, and Milley wouldn't give him air cover. And if he was denied, it's up to him to speak up like he did against Trump. You know, I had no doubt, Brian, and I'm not quite sure why anybody who (laughs) had any level of intellect was surprised that the Afghan military and government would fold up like a cheap suit in the face of a Taliban assault. The way that they were rolling across the country, you knew that this government was going, wasn't going to hold out. You know, the narrative coming from the White House was, oh, don't worry, we've got 200,000 or 300,000 Afghan military, and we're going to hold them at bay. The Taliban might take a few towns and villages along the way, but they're not going to take any major population centers. They, they just they folded one after the other, after the other, after the other. And I remember back as far as you know, 2019, when it was first talked about that we would pull our U.S. forces out of Afghanistan. And I said to any American official who was willing to take the question, do you have any doubt that within a number of months, Afghanistan will be back under the control of the Taliban? A couple of them were honest and said, that's probably going to happen. But many others were saying, oh, no, this is a new Taliban They don't want to be like the old Taliban. They'll enter into a governing agreement with the government of Afghanistan. And it was just so much hooey, Brian. I couldn't believe that people actually believed that that's the way that this would go. The Taliban is the Taliban. They don't enter into power-sharing agreements. They don't say, oh, yes, there's a government with an elected uh, representative at the head of it, and we'll cooperate with them. For, For them, it's their way or the highway. And, and they proved that over and over again. And I don't know why anybody would have thought it would be any different this time. The Sharia hardway, highway. So, uh, John, you flip around. You used to be on CNN, used to uh, work at CBS. And there used to be a time when everyone covered the story a little differently. But when things start going against a narrative of Joe Biden, they'll flip to another story. But not yesterday. People that are actually on the ground and put on the jean shirts and got to meet uh, some of the men and women that fight and our enemy – could not hold back about the tone of that speech and the facts that they wanted to, the facts that they are forcing us to digest, but we won't do it. Listen to Martha Raddatz of ABC. Just on July 8th, the president was saying there's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of an embassy of the United States from Afghanistan. Uh, They were clinging to airplanes in those early days. Uh, He was touting the Afghan forces, saying, I trust the capacity of the Afghan military. The president said they were ready, they were prepared for this, but no one was prepared for 11 days for the Taliban to take over. Uh, The president 
president also promising on July 8th that we can guarantee the safety of the interpreters. There are thousands of interpreters in Afghanistan right now who are desperate and frightened. They, he, she, they couldn't help, and Chuck Todd, similar things, they couldn't help but fact check the ridiculous speech of the president. Well, it is true, Brian, that there was no scene of a helicopter lifting people off the roof of the U.S. Embassy in Kabul because they closed it. <laughs> there was Great no point. roof to lift them off of. But the, fa- the very fact that a number of notable journalists, Martha Raddatz among them, you know, she is a seasoned professional. She has been in Afghanistan more times than I can count. She knows the situation on the ground. She's, uh, you know, acquainted with many of the U.S. commanders who are out there and the troops risking their lives to preserve democracy, you know, however fleeting it was in Afghanistan. And, and for them to be telling it like it is and not offering cover for Joe Biden, Uh, I think is very admirable. Now, there are obviously some other people who continue to offer him cover, but I think the journalists who are objective journalists who know the situation on the ground there and know exactly what happened, they're they're not carrying his water as rightfully they, they shouldn't, and they're telling the situation like it is. Because, you know, while we did get more than 100,000 people out the way that this whole thing went down is is just an unmitigated disaster. And to call it a success, I mean, the only thing he was missing was a mission accomplished banner. I agree. Behind it. Yeah. And at least at that and point, it, it, things were quiet. I mean, this was this is still chaos. And by the way, they really look reformed yesterday, carrying around an, Amer- an empty casket with an American flag draped over it. And I got to remember to include the U.K. flag within a casket as well as a French uh, casket. That is that sounds like a group that wants to be invited to the to the United Nations soon for a cocktail party. John, who who do you have on your show? uh, We we've got a tremendous uh, lineup there. We're starting off with Ambassador uh, Nikki Haley. Uh, Betsy DeVos is going to be on talking about some uh, new issues with the uh, Department of Education launching a civil rights investigation into five states that have banned mask mandates in schools. Uh, We're also going to be talking with uh, Dr. Nicole Sapphire uh, as to whether or not the Delta variant uh, surge has crested. Uh, You're going to be on, so let's (laughs) not forget that. That that is extra special. But we've also got a number of briefings coming up. The DOD's got a briefing. The White House has got a briefing. Uh, The president uh, is meeting with Vladimir Zelensky. He's back in the news again, (laughs) believe it or not. Uh, at 2 o'clock, and then the State Department briefing. So it's going to be a very dynamic uh, afternoon. You're going to be the centerpiece of that dynamism, Brian, so we're looking forward to seeing you all at 1 o'clock today. It's funny, John. Even though I'm the centerpiece, I was the sixth person you mentioned. So I don't know if you're going to make me the sixth. You know what I I like to do, Brian? I like to save the best for last. Okay, nice cover. I I I appreciate it. I like to to climb the mountain of uh, public relations and publicity. I like to see sort of a slow build to the top. (laughs) You did that. Uh, John, thanks so much. We're going to take a short time out and come back with your calls. And then we got Congressman Mike McCall. Busy hour. John Roberts, thank you. We'll see you at one. Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade, the fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The truth is he did agree with President Trump on it. He had been saying it for years, and we're paying the consequences. I just say one other brief word, and, you know, I cannot believe that the Joe Biden I know really thinks this went as it should, this evacuation from Afghanistan, 
But his reaction, and this happens with leaders sometimes, is totally defensive and defiant. And that that really is not good for our country. Uh, that is Joe Lieberman talking about his peer, friend of his, same party, Joe Biden, vehemently against this, vehemently against getting into this Iran deal. You know why? Because when it comes to foreign affairs and the war on terror, Joe Lieberman gets it. That's why he's with John McCain and Lindsey Graham and others over the year, uh, over the years, Senator Ayotte and others. They would travel the country and just understand, I, I don't care what party we're in. This is bad for the country. And Joe Biden getting out, even Barack Obama at 45, 46 years old was saying, my 72-year-old vice president, does he not understand the ramifications of just pulling all the troops out of Iraq? Does he not understand the ramifications of just not surging troops into Afghanistan? But instead, remember, and I think this comes full circle, General McChrystal was featured on 60 Minutes, and they just talked about what a wonderful job he did and how they wanted to go into uh, uh, Afghanistan and tackle the insurgency once and for all. And then Joe Biden came into town, and quickly everybody knew he wanted to blow up McChrystal because McChrystal did not want, not want it to surge, and Biden didn't. And his people, McChrystal's people, talked to the Rolling Stone, maybe off the record, maybe on the record, and the story got out, and it was totally dismissive and personally attacking of Joe Biden. Remember Joe Bite Me? That story got out. McChrystal gets fired. Petraeus comes comes out of retirement to lead the surge after doing it in Iraq, and it never quite had the momentum again. So, Joe Biden, you finally got your way. You have the power. And now you're trying to tell people it's a success? Only 27% of the American people believe so, and they're just blind partisans. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What is the Taliban? Are they now our frenemy? Are they our adversary? Are they our enemy? Are they our... What are they? Well, it's hard to put a label on it, in part because we have yet to see what they are going to be now that they are in control, physical control of Afghanistan. They will, in the coming days, announce a government. That government is going to go around seeking diplomatic engagement, even recognition from other countries, including the United States. In fact, the Taliban spokesman today said he was looking for positive relations on behalf of the Taliban, especially with the United States. We're not just going to grant positive relations to the Taliban. Is this unbelievable? Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor, talking about uh, with uh, Nicole Nicole Wallace, she used to be Nicole Devenish when I knew her with the Bush administration, uh, and she was a Republican at that time. She goes, what are they? We don't know. We have to see. We don't know. You have to see. They're cutting people's heads off. Did you hear what uh, Michael Walt said yesterday? His interpreter had his head cut off in front of his family, and then they killed his whole family. Number two, they had scenes in the street of an Ameri- a coffin with an American flag over it. Why are we pretending that they could be our friend. And, of course, the story I just talked about before with John Roberts 10 minutes ago, it just published the Washington Post. Josh Rogan did it, good friend of the show. Uh, the, minister, the administration left 600 friendly journalists behind in country. They were warned not to do it. They were warned to leave room on them. They were warned that these people have helped us out so much, even with the excavation of all these people that, that they're so proud of, the biggest airlift ever, they left it behind. 
The administration was warned early and often about the people with Voice of America, early and often about Radio Free Europe, early and often about those who helped them uh, with the RFE and RL journalists, but instead they're still there. So for those who say just a couple of hundred, you're wrong. So between five and 600 friendly journalists. The USAG uh, journalists and staffers have every connection to a group of potential evacuees uh, could wish for. And their expectations were correspondingly high. After all, the U.S. government had moved heaven and earth to get the Afghan uh, people out uh, directly responsible for what they were doing. But in the end, these journalists were not able to get out. Remember the bombing and the, and the suicide bombing that took place and the threats afterwards. They had told people, stop coming to the airport. Well, they stopped coming to the airport. And General McKenzie unthinkably says, I really hope up until the last minute more Americans would join me on that final plane out, but they weren't. No kidding. You shut the gates and told them to stay home, including these people. Here's the quote. You would expect the United States government, which helped create the space for journalists and civil society in Afghanistan over the last 20 years, would have tried to do more over the last several weeks to assist journalists who made a decision that was best for them to leave the country. But they constantly failed to do that. They didn't. Okay, congratulations. Now, if Trump did that, they'd say, well, Trump saying fake news is really played out to life and death situation. Joe Biden's got it for 97 percent of the media. Up until recently, the global media loved the guy because he wasn't Trump and he's a Democrat. Now, how do you rationalize this? So the other big story that came to light that's going to make him look terrible, if you pay attention to it, is the transcript that Reuters found of his conversation with Ghani, at which time he said the perception is we're losing, start winning. Ghani says, hey, I I need more troops. I need air cover. The Pakistanis are putting 10 to 15,000 terrorists uh, in their country. They're giving them armaments. They're replenishing them with food. you got to help me. And Joe Biden didn't answer, nor did General Milley. So— Having said that, with this story out and the transcript being verified, uh, Dan Hoffman weighed in, former CIA station chief in places like Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Iraq and Russia. Cut 17. The key takeaway for me from that conversation between President Biden and and President Ghani is this. Uh, President Biden was clearly aware of the very precarious situation, a military situation in Afghanistan. That's the time to hold our military, hold the evacuation of our military forces, reconsider um, some of the uh, evacuation of our of our troops and step up the evacuation of our civilians. Hmm. It's unbelievable. What you do is if you get that conversation, you call your CIA director and you see what he can do. Instead, your CIA director came in and tried to extend the deadline of August 31st. Remember the deadline that the Joe Biden chose? He tried to extend it when he realized he couldn't get everybody out. When he couldn't do that, now he said that's a hard and fast deadline that I believe in. I want to leave some time for uh, Congressman Michael McCall, who's been a leader on this and talked about the danger, not only of the border, but especially of leaving Afghanistan the way we did it. But I also want you to hear Mark Green, who served in the military as a colonel, cut 18. They're suggesting that it's inevitable that this uh, happened the way that it is. That's absolutely false. I know for a fact that the packages presented by DOD to the president recommended more troops temporarily at Bagram Air Base, 4,500 troops, to secure it for a safe withdrawal. He rejected that and pulled a number out of the hat. I want you to go down to 600 people. The leadership at the DOD said we can't even secure the embassy with 600 people. He said, I don't care. Go to 600 people. For him, this is about political optics. It's not about taking care of people. It never has been for this president. 
That's why he's not stopping fentanyl coming across the southern border, killing Americans. He doesn't care. All that matters to him is his, uh, you know, political poll numbers. That's it. Those are some facts that Joe Biden needs to be challenged with and Jen Psaki needs to define. Call Mark Green a liar. Say he's a Republican hack. Well, then he'll provide his he'll provide his information. He's not on either count. Republican out of Tennessee. When we come back, uh, Congressman Michael McCall, where we go from here, the warnings that he gave prior that were flat out ignored and how it all plays into what's happening on the border. We finish up this hour. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Honest commentary, unique opinions, no agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Now we believe that about 100 to 200 Americans remain in Afghanistan with some intention to leave. The bottom line, 90% of Americans in Afghanistan who wanted to leave were able to leave. And for those remaining Americans, there is no deadline. We remain committed to get them out if they want to come out. Right. That's the problem. They didn't want to come out. Congressman Michael McCall joins us now. He's ranking member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. He's been a a voice of reason through this illogical push to get out of Afghanistan and ignoring the terror threat. Congressman, welcome back. How frustrated are you today? Oh, very. I, I think uh, everybody uh, just, uh, you know, Republican and Democrat just feel uh, like we had a unconditional surrender to the Taliban, just a, a punch in the gut. And I think the worst thing is violating our, our military's credo of no man left behind, no one left behind. We left our mil- military behind. Uh, I think they're deflating the numbers personally, uh, that we left our American citizens behind. We left interpreters who worked alongside our special forces behind, and they have a, a, a basically a, a death warrant on them, a bullseye on their back. They will be killed by the Taliban. Um, and somehow that it's the American citizens' fault for not getting out is – just astounding to me that this president could say that, um, that it's their fault, not his. Uh, he set the arbitrary deadline without conditions. That was the unconditional surrender. Uh, never would have happened under the previous administration. It wouldn't have. And, I, you know, I printed out the six pages. I don't love this agreement, and I'm sure you didn't love this agreement. Ambassador Kalazad, I think, needs to go in front of you guys and answer some questions. But all mm-hmm. the conditions based, it would have all blown up because the, clearly the Taliban wasn't going to adhere to it. And they took Kabul. They weren't supposed to do that. It was supposed to be a negotiated, uh, a negotiated coalition government. But I want to I want to bring you to uh, one portion of what Joe Biden said. And tell me if you think he believes this. The extraordinary success of this mission was due to the incredible skill, bravery, and selfless courage of the United States military and our diplomats and intelligence professionals. For weeks, they risked their lives to get American citizens, Afghans who helped us, citizens of our allies and partners and others on board planes and out of the country. People did work hard for this airlift. But they did not leave Kabul airport, none of them, and nobody from outside Kabul got to the airport. And the last few days, they were told it's too dangerous to come. Well, General McKenzie sat on the plane and said, I hope to be joined by some Americans, but no one ever showed. Did he, does he, did he not know that the gates were locked and they told everyone to stay home? I mean, I can't get my head around the idiocy. No, I, I, I'm so angry, Brian. I, you know, that, that's just the why. I mean, 
I was on the phone with uh, Millie's office, McKenzie, with White House, uh, you know, with State Department all last weekend. You know, we had American citizens at the gate trying to get in. We had these interpreters who, you know, risking their lives to get there. You know, we had four buses of schoolgirls in the choir, Christian schoolgirls that had visas. The Brits had sponsored them, had an airplane. All they had to do is open that gate. And they wouldn't open the gate. And now they, they had to turn back, and now they're in the hands of the Taliban. It's absolutely disgraceful what they did. Uh, this is un-American in, in my judgment. And, you know, the president will throw everybody under the bus, the military. The, uh, the intelligence community got this one right. Their assessment was correct all along as to what was going to happen. It's just that this administration, uh, instead of relying on, on that, uh, they relied on their politicos in the White House. Uh, and waited to the very last minute to really get this evacuation underway. They just didn't – they had blinders on, Brian. And people have died now because of it, and Americans are left behind enemy lines. This is disgraceful for a commander-in-chief. Absolutely. Congressman Michael McCall with us. Congressman, I'm not sure you're aware of this, uh, but Josh Rogan, who's a great reporter of the Washington Post – he yeah. just wrote a story. The administration was warned early and often about 600 or so employees, contractors, and family members who work for the U.S.-sponsored news organizations called uh, U.S. Agency for Global Media, a federal agency funded by the Congress. They include journalists of Voice of America, Radio Free, Free Europe, and others. They worked in Afghanistan on great personal risk for years and are hated, and some were killed by the Taliban back in 2016. They were told, don't leave us behind. They left 600 behind. 600. These are, uh, and, and I kind of push that story, Brian, because you did. USAGM is sort of an, an arm of the State Department, and State Department left their own behind. That's how bad it is. Journalists speaking the truth, speaking about democracy in, behind enemy lines in Afghanistan, uh, putting their lives on the line. We could have gotten them out. Why in the world were they left behind? Why didn't we get them out? You know, it got so bad, Brian, that there were there were patriots who took up arms themselves. And, and, and I can go into this more in detail when we get the operational security you know, you know, let down, but, uh, or the guard let down. But you know, these are operations like uh, Dunkirk and Pineapple and other ones where these special forces guys were working on their own because yep. they were fed up with our incompetence of this evacuation by the State Department who was in charge. And you know what? They started going on their own. And they start saving lives on their own. And they save thousands of lives. This will be the untold story. If there's any good story of patriotism in the American way, what Americans believe in, it's going to be this story. So, so Congressman McCall, if you say the intelligence got it right, and if you've had conversations with the military, you know, both were thrown under the bus by this administration— and he yeah. said the military was totally on board with the day they were going to leave and the whole operation to begin with, and nobody forecasted this This army, this Afghan army was going to fold. If all that stuff is true that the administration says, and you, you're talking to them directly and you said they got it right, at what point do they stand up for themselves and say, we got it right, the White House is not being candid, dare I say, lying? I think they disregarded their own intelligence community and top generals from the very beginning with the decision itself all the way into the evacuation. Uh, there's a good, a right way to do this and a wrong way. And they disregarded the, the people they should have listened to the most. 
I know that for a fact, Brian. Uh, you know, in my position on the Foreign Affairs Committee, it's going to be one of the primary jurisdiction uh, you know, committees to do the oversight and investigation into how did we get this so wrong? What happened? Uh, and we are relying on whistleblowers, uh, and I think we're going to have a lot of them because this administration is throwing his top military brass and intelligence community under the bus. Uh, they're already coming to us, and we want the truth to come out to the American people as to what really happened and the fact that this commander-in-chief, and it's hard for me to even call him that, disregarded his own, the smartest people he has, smartest team, and, and lied to the American people about what happened. So here's what he did, though. He's saying nobody predicted the Afghan army would, would, would fold. No one predicted Gahani would leave. And this was Trump's deal. Listen to a little of this. My predecessor had made a deal with the Taliban. When I came into office, we faced a deadline, May 1. The Taliban onslaught was coming. We faced one of two choices. Follow the agreement of the pre- previous administration and extend it to have or extend have more time for people to get out or send in thousands of more troops and escalate the war. Is that true? Do you think that was his true choice? No, it was a political decision from start to finish. If you look at the agreement, and I have, I I read it when it came out. I worked worked with Zal Khalizad. I didn't ever, I was very uh, suspect that we could ever negotiate with the Taliban. I never really believed that premise was the right one. However, if you look at the agreement, it is conditions-based. And when I talked to Secretary Pompeo or National Security O'Brien, they told me every time they violated the conditions of the agreement, we hit them because that's all they understand. We would strike them like a snake. We'd strike them, and and, and they they, they would listen to us. O'Brien told me he was in the White House with President Trump, and when they told him, if you have a a complete withdrawal— here are your options. Here's what could happen. Another Saigon. And the president said, I will never have another Saigon under my watch. Remember, he, he dropped that Moab bomb yep. that, that just shocked the world. Trump would never have agreed to an unconditional surrender to the Taliban. Biden's using this as an excuse to blame others for his decision. I'm sorry. It was his decision, and he owns it. Lastly, do you think they'll be able to pivot from this? The American people notoriously don't love foreign affairs. Will we? Are you concerned we're going to forget about this? Yeah, but but I have to say, I, I think this story is not going away uh, because the horrific images are going to start coming out. The stories are going to start coming out. The threat level is going to start coming out. This didn't just impact Afghanistan. This impacted our standing around the world. And when we, uh, when we brought down Bagram Air Base and our embassy, we lost all Eisner's on the ground, all of our yep. what they call ISR capability, intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance, not only on what's happening in Afghanistan, uh, but also Russia, China, and Iran. Uh, this was a deeply flawed exit. Uh, this can have long-term national security consequences. And Congressman, you got two things. You, you're leading on the border and you're leading on this. So let's not forget the border either. Uh, because they all could be related, sadly, uh, very shortly. Congressman Michael McCall, thanks so much. No, thank you, Brian. Good to talk to you. Same here. Listen, if you've seen him, he goes on other networks, too. He's always direct, and he's as least political as anyone. Just flat out 
concerned. Concerned about who's in charge, his beliefs, and what he's saying to the American people. 27% thought he did a good job. Who are those 27%? Hey, if you want to order the podcast, if you can't listen to us live, go to BrianKillmeadShow.com or Spotify or anything else. Thanks for listening. Keep it here. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.